0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Let's Let's Get get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie Terry. We're back for episode three. I can't believe. Prime numbers. Prim- yes haunted haunted three's company three's a uh, three <laughs> it's that one half of a broken heart emoji that yeah, i used yeah, when i was emo less than three <laughs> yeah. and then people turned it into less than four and less mm. than five
1: it's also like the anime emoji you know where yeah. you do the little the <laughs> the ooh-woof. Ooh-woof. i'm really excited to hear the story that you're telling me today i don't know what it is i just get excited when there's new experiences ahead of me
0: i'm so sweaty and i <laughs> apologize to everybody <laughs> if my voice sounds raspy i didn't sleep at all last night I have had the weirdest sleep schedule Steve and I are moving witchcraft witchcraft. It's basically witchcraft on my vocal cords. So if I start fading, Natalia is going to save me. Oh, don't worry.
1: <laughs> Natalia, I can talk so much that it's literally a crime, I think. <laughs> all my teachers growing up were like, yeah, Natalia has a lot of potential. She just talks too much during class and she distracts all the other students around her. So then for a while I had to sit like in this corner of the room where like I couldn't be around anybody. That's called ADHD
0: for sure. Is
1: it? Yeah. That's witchcraft. ADHD is the government trying to take Mind our creativity control. away yes, yeah i is. agree but also like my adhd medication helps me to like research mm. <laughs> why i hate the government so, so maybe
0: it's not a scam <laughs>
1: yeah so actually they fooled themselves Big pharma mm. i like that we just <laughs> say like trigger words that <laughs> yeah. mean that mean nothing hope
0: our audience fills in the blanks
1: yeah we, we
0: don't even know what we mean so I just let the universe
1: guide me. I don't think about what I'm going to say. It just comes out and then I deal with the consequences as I'm speaking.
0: I just get on a roll and then I start having opinions that I don't actually have in real life.
1: Sometimes it's just a competition with myself to like see how much whatever I can say. Like I tweeted out this morning guy in my Uber pool smells like ass forcing me to roll down the window and breathe toxic LA freeway air. I'll probably get cancer. Therefore at Uber gets rich off giving poor people cancer. And Uber support contacted me (laughs) and said, we absolutely want to take a closer look, Nat. Can you please provide more details regarding your concern and provide your email address associated with your account so we can follow up?
0: Is this an automated response? Did they not even read that? They said Nat. I don't know. It kind of made me scared because now I feel like I'm under the eye of Uber. Well, also, it's like very clearly... A joke,
1: but it's also not. Well, if they wanted to like do a class action settlement with me, like over like giving people cancer. Dude, bo
0: is such a topic right now in the HR sphere because there are no laws regarding it. If someone has terrible bo, fuck that person. Yeah, fuck that person. They're inconsiderate, and I had to go to a seminar about how to address bad bo in the workplace because it's like the newest topic that people are constantly going to HR about now is like so-and-so smells like ass like help me I don't mind BO because
1: I ran cross-country I ran track like I know what sweaty people smell like and that's not anywhere near as bad as like somebody who hasn't taken a shower and washed their ass
0: also it's just like a self-respect thing I don't understand when someone could let themselves get unless they have a medical condition this chick had a disorder where she smelled like fish it was some chemical makeup in her body. It was some genetic marker where she just constantly smelled like fish. And then that, That's in that instance, yeah, like I feel really bad. There's no way to avoid it. For, for regular people, please just shower. Welcome to our podcast to our that podcast. makes you feel good when you're like, We should. I it. like already hate everything we just <laughs> talked about. We'll just start over. Okay. Welcome to Let's Get Haunted, a bad vibes podcast. We're in a negative mood today. I'm feeling good actually. Yeah. Never I mind. also
1: do have a demon that feeds off <laughs> of other people's drama though. So That's
0: true. Sometimes I just invent drama because my life is boring. Mm.
1: Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. I feel like that's a check against like the feminism thing that's happening. <gasps> because That's like one of the stereotypes that men say, oh, women just make up drama. But I am a woman and I do that. But
0: not harmful
1: drama. I'll be like, (laughs) so-and-so keeps parking their car in this. Oh, yeah. This person is parked
0: slightly crooked next Mm -hmm. to me at the grocery store. So I
1: have to scrape my butt on their car and
0: get dust. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let's start over.
1: Hey, (laughs) everybody. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to Let's Get Get Haunted.
0: No, I'm kidding, we don't have to start over
1: oh I'm just in it for it you know why because I support you Alyssa <laughs> anybody who tries to take the friendship that Alyssa and I have away from me I will fight you to the death
0: you googled um Gemini and Leo sex, sex, and sex and relationships and we're the most compatible sign right
1: yeah whoever wrote that they were like this pairing is so like bound to get the both the Leo and the Gemini into trouble and it was like Leo who loves to be in charge and, and Gemini who loves to try new things are the perfect pairing yeah, I- I was laughing it so said, hard when I finally read it. It said sex for the Leo and Gemini are most likely to be wild and crazy. Lots
0: of outdoor sex will occur. It was very specific. They love being
1: naked and outdoors.
0: I mean, that's not wrong.
1: I just am picturing this beautiful park where it's like Victorian. The painting, that famous painting where like everyone has like a fucking umbrella mm-hmm. or whatever it is,
0: and the big flouncy skirts. Yeah, like and, hoop then, skirts.
1: and then there's us like lounging, being fed grapes and apples, <laughs> just like
0: <laughs> naked. And it's called Gemini and Leo. Oh, I love that. That's so cute.
1: I wish it. That's our merch right there.
0: Gemini and Leo. It's two like Power
1: naked couple. Victorian women being fed, oh, feeding grapes to each other in a park. That's such a good idea.
0: Is this only a good idea because I haven't. Slept or is it actually a good idea no
1: it's actually a good idea because it, it's kind of like witchy
0: too that's like, true w-
1: witches are historically like females who were single and lived and naked alone yeah. and naked yeah. yeah don't quote me on this N- anybody
0: no everybody understands we just ha- i haven't slept you're in a manic state this is just how we're being we're hyped fam i'm yeah. ready to hear the story girl okay well the other thing i wanted to say is i wanted to say thank you to no i'm
2: just kidding okay i was like (laughs) who are we thinking
0: brent he was the only person who been us. b r e n t -T. brent Brent. he's the best brent b B is for best B E S R is for really great e is for excellent n is for not lame is for terrific. Brent's my best friend and if you try to tear us <laughs> apart I will rip your heart out of your rib cage and put it in your skull. People Bury can't you. see me but I'm dancing. Yeah. Um, he Venmo'd us. He was the only one <laughs> and now thanks to his Venmo we can pay for three months of SoundCloud premium. <gasps> The free version of SoundCloud is only if you want to listen. And if you want to create, they only give you a certain amount of minutes. And we only have 13 minutes left.
1: SoundCloud only gives a voice to people with money. The 1% are the only ones who have a voice. How dare they? The government. Big pharma. (laughs) The bourgeoisie has failed us.
0: uh, Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Yeah. I also ran a poll on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Asking, uh, because we're trying to figure out ways to continue paying for soundcloud premium because that is the only way because brent's gonna die one day folks well brent, <laughs> brent also is gonna r- run out of goodwill at some point
1: brent i hope you never die i'm sorry brent
0: i hope that you get the job of your dreams and you or win the lottery and you can venmo us every month for soundcloud premium i have an idea what
1: okay so the la river right okay Think about it. No,
0: the last idea you had <laughs> was like, Alyssa, what if we got on a yacht? Yes, and one of us filmed the other one shitting off the side of the yacht and, and it went sell viral? it
1: to the Daily Mail for ten thousand dollars. Idea. You said that last time too, but look, did it stick with you? Because it's so bad, just crazy enough it might work. No. So my new idea is the L.A. River, <laughs> okay. right? Everything that falls onto the ground goes into the sewer system and then filters out through the L.A. River, goes into the ocean, animals die, sad, sad, right? Right. What if we get a giant net and we put it across the L.A. River, just in one area, mm-hmm. and we just see what we can get in there. I bet there's some coins in there. I mean, think about how many people live in Los Angeles. There's got to at least be $50 million in coins.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, harvesting, <laughs> harvesting the net, I think, will take... Yeah. I mean it seems
0: like we'd need a really big net so that would be a big investment. That'd be like a couple thousand.
1: Hey, you got to spend money to make money.
0: And then we'll probably get arrested. I'm sure there's some ordinance against Hey, bad publicity is good publicity. You're right. Also, to catch coins, it would have to literally be the tiniest little fish net ever. We could just
1: stand out there in our rubber boots and catch them <laughs> like like just grizzlies quit catching our jobs. salmon.
0: The other idea that I had Mine for
1: Bitcoin. What's your idea?
0: Okay. What if we started filming our podcasts and offering those filmed versions of the podcast to people that like pay a certain amount? $2 a month. Right, and everyone was. Only twenty seven people or twenty eight people were like, "Yeah, we'd be into that." Okay,
1: what's the question that you asked on the poll?
0: I said, "Of our podcast and possibly other types of videos in the future." So
1: basically, do you guys want to see what we look like, pretty much, while we're doing this? And then the four options were:
0: Yes, and I'd pay for that. And I'd pay for that. Yes, and but only if it's free. Yes, and only if it's free. No, I prefer audio only, or makes no difference to me. And
1: everyone voted for yes, but only Only if if it's it's free. free.
0: And so I was like, "All right, well, honestly, respect, (laughs) like." respect i feel that the problem was is you gave people a choice i don't want us to go to all the trouble to film something Melissa, let me give you some advice on controlling
1: the population's mind okay? okay it's only two options that we both want them to pick so the only choice they have is and then yes.
0: oh see i was being too benevolent also well, okay another idea that just popped into my head what if
1: dream catchers okay sorry we no, that's, li- table that
0: <laughs> table that for later what if we live streamed our podcast to people that pay like a dollar. And then the recorded, edited, coherent version goes out for free.
1: All right. People are going to stop listening okay, to this unless we tell well, the we're story. Gonna,
0: we're going to cut out a lot of this.
1: I know if Alyssa has control, she's going to cut out my bourgeoisie <gasps> has failed us. I'm
0: going to cut out everything only because anything am so with, tired.
1: Anything that starts with George Bush. Well, it because- just had
0: nothing to do with <laughs> the story you were telling. Everything is connected. Everything's connected. The I butterfly. I'll bring effect. up
1: George Bush on this podcast
0: good because he has nothing to do with this story um i will explain why that is
1: wrong (laughs) in a different podcast
0: my story that i'm going to tell you today takes place in the olden days before we were born in the days of lore is it your in the days Days of of lore in the days of a while ago (laughs) this story (laughs) happened
1: okay in a time when good and evil were not separated
0: when yeah, in the seventies. What else was going on in the seventies? Oh, the
1: seventy. 70- oh, in the seventies. Oh, I know exactly what Disco. was going on.
0: Seventies. We had Vietnam.
1: We did right. No. <laughs> yeah, it was a hundred percent. You had the hippies. Vietnam was going on. Bob Dylan was playing music. You had. Oh, I guess. Yeah, it
0: ended in nineteen seventy-five. Wow.
1: You looked at me like I w- was completely wrong. I love. Uh, first of all, I love war history. I don't. Af- don't ask me why. But Vietnam War. There's so much culture and art that comes out of that. There's so many good movies that come out of that.
0: Okay, Vietnam War, November 1st, 1955 to April 30th, 1975. So you are right because this story takes place in 1975.
1: You had people getting pissed off then at the government. Didn't know what we were doing over there. Everyone's mad. The worst, the worst furniture of all time.
0: Yeah, it was pretty bad. Worst wallpaper too, I would say. It's because everyone was doing a bunch of psychedelic drugs. And that actually is sort of going to tie into my story as well. Mm, So, very good segue. I
1: predicted.
0: On Wednesday, November 5th, 1975, at approximately 7.30 p.m., the phone rings at the Navajo County Sheriff's Office in Arizona, United States. Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison answers the phone. On the other end of the line, a frantic young man starts to speak. The man introduces himself as Ken Peterson, and he explains that he is part of a crew of seven loggers contracted by the Forest Service to clear out brush in the Apache Sitgraves National Forest in Arizona. Peterson goes on to say that one of their crew members, Travis Walton, has gone missing, but he refuses to elaborate upon the disappearance over the phone, asking instead for Sheriff Ellison to meet the crew at a nearby shopping center to take down the report. Sheriff Ellison drives to the shopping center and sees the six loggers waiting for him. They're all clearly in distress. Ellison gets out of his vehicle and approaches the men. What the loggers tell him next would go on to become one of the most well-documented instances of an alleged alien abduction. So now that we have this part of the story, let's go back a little bit. So in 1975, Travis Walton was 22 years old. He was a young man working on an eight-man crew of loggers. The crew was led by 28-year-old Mike Rogers, who was the oldest of the group, who had for nine years contracted with the United States Forest Service for various duties. Rogers and Walton were best friends, and Walton was also dating Rogers' sister, Dana. In November of 1975, Mike Rogers received the most lucrative contract he had gotten yet with the Forest Service. The contract was to clear over 1,200 acres of undergrowth and brush from the Apache Sick Graves National Forest near Turkey Springs, Arizona. However, just a few days into the contract, three members of the eight-man crew decided to quit, leaving only five men to do the job. The loss of manpower put the job behind schedule. If the contract wasn't completed within the set amount of weeks the Forest Service had given them, the crew would be allowed to request more time but would receive a slight reduction in pay for every week they went over schedule. Not wanting to get too far behind on the job, Mike calls his brother-in-law, John Goulet, to see if he can come up to help him out. John agrees and drives with a friend named Dwayne Smith, from Phoenix, Arizona, to Snowflake, Arizona, where the members of the crew are based. The addition of John and his friend Dwayne brings the total crew count up to seven.
1: Wait, so these two guys, they're not loggers? They're just like...
0: I think that they have logging experience, but they just don't live in the area where um, Rogers works with his crew. Um, Okay, so since the job is behind schedule, everyone is working overtime to fulfill the contract. Their days typically begin at 6 a.m. and end at sunset when they can't see anymore. So we're talking 12-hour days. Mm -hmm. Logging, super hard. Logging, super hard, chainsaws, cutting down, um, clearing, growth. They have to make these piles of logs um, because they have to cut down like old disease trees to make room for the healthy trees to grow. Mm And so they cut down these trees and they have to stack the logs in a certain way. It's like a crisscross pattern Mm. from the pictures I saw. So they're physically exhausted. Right. This is like very hard manual labor. Mm. The members of the seven man crew are Mike Rogers, the 28 year old leader of the crew. Travis Walton, 22 years old, Mike's best friend and dating his sister. Ken Peterson, Alan Dallas. Uh, Alan Dallas is described as the tough guy. He's the hardest to work with, and he's almost gotten into fistfights with pretty much everyone in the crew. <laughs>
1: me, yeah, <laughs> me is a logger. He's a Gemini.
0: John Goulet is Mike Rogers' brother-in-law. John's friend, Dwayne Smith, and the only descriptor I could find about Dwayne Smith is that he's six foot seven. Uh,
1: yeah, that's like on his grave. Yeah, he's this, like, this bitch
0: was six foot. Seven. I think he's still alive.
1: Whoa! Oh, so I have a chance. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Steve Pierce is the youngest in the group at 17 years old. He's just a little baby. Everybody else is in their early to mid-20s, except for Mike, who's in his late 20s. And then Steve is only 17 years old, and he's working with all these big, burly logger men. He's a good boy. I know. Good boy privilege. (laughs) And he's still alive, too. Good boy. So a little after 6 p.m. on November 5th, the sun starts to set, and the guys begin to pack up their equipment for the day. The area of the forest that they've been working in is about 15 to 20 miles from the nearest city, so to get to their job site, all seven of them have to pile into Mike's truck, which is a four-door 1965 International double cab. And I put that in because seven people, cars. well, and seven people are cramming into yeah. this double cab. So yeah, it's an ex- it's like a larger cab than the average truck. But they have three in the front and four in the back. And mm-hmm. the, so the four in the back don't even have seat belts because uh, yeah,
1: I know what those trucks look yeah. like. Yeah, they're cool. People like fix them up, mm-hmm. and they're usually baby blue. It has
0: like a wood <laughs> on the. Outside panels. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike Rogers is driving. Kenny Peterson is in the front middle. Travis Walton is in the front passenger seat. And in the back seat from right to left are Alan Dallas, Steve Pierce, John Goulette, and Dwayne Smith is so Dwayne Smith is behind Mike. Obviously, there isn't a paved roadway for them to get into this national forest and they have to drive over rough terrain to get in and out of the area. It's already pretty dark when the guys start their journey back to Snowflake. After they've been driving for a few minutes, they notice a bright light coming through the trees on the right side of the vehicle and they start debating what it could be. At first, the men think it's the moon, but then they notice that the moon is actually clearly visible on the opposite side of the truck. Then one of the men proposes that it might be a wrecked airplane, but that idea quickly gets shot down by John Goulette, who says, no, I've seen wrecked airplanes before <laughs> and they don't look like
1: that. Sick quote. Yeah. Mission Impossible Tom Cruise Right. Like, like, no,
0: I've I've seen that before. <laughs> that's not what that is. Then they hypothesize that it might be a spotlight from people who are hunting deer, like spotlight yeah, hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they decide that, no, it can't be spotlight hunting because the light is too big for that. Then they think it might be a fire burning. But as they get closer, they don't smell any smoke or see any flames. They keep staring at the light, which they describe as a bright golden white. And suddenly, as they make a turn, the source of the light finally comes into view. And Alan Dallas, the tough guy, yells out, It's a spaceship! and drops down onto the floorboard covering his head. With Alan on the floorboard, Steve, the 17-year-old, now has an unobstructed view of the spaceship, and he presses against the glass of the window. It's glowing a bright golden white, very, very bright, and just hovering over a clearing, not moving at all. It's hovering about 15 feet below the tree line over a pile of logging slash, which is what I was talking about where they have to make those piles. Mm -hmm. It was around 8 feet high and 20 feet in diameter, And the men are just in awe. So clearly, Mike breaks because they just come into this clearing Mm -hmm. and they see this huge craft in front of them. Suddenly and without warning, Travis Walton, who's on the passenger side, opens the passenger door and gets out of the truck. No. He starts walking towards the spaceship as if he's in a trance. Everyone inside the truck is yelling at him. To come back, they're saying things like, what are you crazy? Get back in the truck. He turns around and gives them a weird look and then turns back towards the spaceship and keeps walking towards it.
1: (gasps) Reptilian. Keep
0: going. Suddenly, as Travis is almost directly underneath it, the spaceship starts rocking back and forth side to side, and it lets out what the men describe as a beeping noise and a high pitched noise similar to the sound a turbine engine makes when starting up. The men inside the truck are now even more scared and frantically screaming at Travis to turn around and come back to the truck. As the men are yelling and the UFO is rocking around making noise, Travis starts to slowly retreat from underneath the ship. Just then, the UFO shoots out a beam of blue-green light. The beam hits Travis squarely in the chest. He rises a foot into the air, his arms and legs outstretched behind him. And then he shoots back stiffly about 10 to 20 feet, all while caught in the glow of the light. His right shoulder hits the earth and his body is completely limp on the ground. Horrified, Steve yells out, they got him. And Dwayne ye- yells ladies out, ladies and gentlemen,
1: we got, we got him.
0: <laughs> Steve yells out, they got him. And Dwayne yells out, he's disintegrated. He's dead. And the rest of the boys yell at Mike to floor it. Mike takes off running over stumps, boulders, and saplings, just tearing through the forest, trying to get away from the UFO. After putting about a quarter of a mile distance between themselves and the clearing where Travis had just been killed, Mike suddenly flips the car around in a U-turn and says, oh my God, we can't leave him. We have to go back. He could still be alive.
1: No, bye,
0: bitch. Right? Some (laughs) of the men are trying to convince him not to turn back, saying that Travis is clearly dead. And then if they go back, they could be killed by the spaceship too. But as they're arguing they suddenly see the spaceship rise above the tree line and zoom away at an impossibly fast speed. And in an instant, they can't even see the craft anymore. Mike starts the truck back up and they all start to drive the quarter of a mile back to the clearing. Once they get to the clearing, the UFO is gone and so is Travis. They all get out of the truck and start searching the surrounding area for him, thinking maybe he had not died and gotten up and just wandered off because he was very injured or confused or has brain damage. Or they think maybe he got up was trying to hide from the ship or was trying to chase the truck as they were driving away so they searched the area for some time but they're all super scared and they only have one flashlight between the six of them and so it's described as they're basically linked arms because they Mm -hmm. can't see anything and they're just walking in a grid like pattern with one flashlight scanning God. the ground.
1: You love these stories where it's just a group of people like linked up, walking I slowly. Do. Yeah. Looking yeah, you're for right. Something. That's
0: what my last story was. <laughs> and they can't find him. They come up empty handed. So Mike Rogers falls so there, to his knees. So there was no. There's nothing. No. Right. But trace. the one guy said that he disintegrated. Well, he said he disintegrated, but um, he actually hadn't. He was just saying like, he's dead. He's clearly dead. And everyone else is like, no, he's not disintegrated, but he's clearly dead. Right. He was just like, let's fucking leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no hope for him, basically. Okay. So Mike Rogers falls to his knees and starts screaming. I left my best friend behind. I can't believe it. I left my best friend behind. Defeated, they start. I I know. Isn't that so sad? Defeated, they start debating amongst themselves over what they should do now. Kenny Peterson wants to go to the police because he's a badass in this story. But Alan Dow Alice and Steve Pierce are afraid to go to the police because they're afraid that nobody's gonna believe them. Yeah. Finally, they come to the conclusion that they can't just abandon Travis, even if he's lying dead somewhere, and realize that their only option is to go to the police. They decide that the best thing to do is just say that Travis went missing and not mention the UFO until they have to. Mm -hmm. Now in agreement, they drive to the nearest town, which is Heber, and call the sheriff's office from a shopping center pay phone around 7.30 p.m., which is what we opened up with. Right. Even though Mike Rogers was the crew boss, he's too upset to make the phone call, so Kenny Peterson, the badass, has to do it. Kenny speaks over the phone to Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison, who drives down to meet them. Once there, Ellison observes in his police report that the men are visibly upset and shaken, and two of the men one of whom is identified as Steve Pierce, are crying. Ellison is skeptical. So these are like, I want everyone to keep in mind, I mean, these, these are, are like big, big, strong, strong. burly, logger, men of the woods, mm-hmm. like rural, yeah. tall, they got a cut. Beard. Yeah, they, they like have chainsaws slung over their backs. They're wearing hard hats. Mm-hmm. And two of them are crying. And they're all shaking over what just happened. So Ellison, the sheriff, is obviously skeptical of this story right but uh later he tells newspapers that if they were acting they were awfully good at it unsure of what to make of the story ellison calls his superior sheriff marlon gillespie who just recently passed away and i read his obituary and it was like the sweetest obituary he was very (laughs) beloved i he just seems like he was a great guy i'm pretty sure no one's obituary is like fuck this asshole No, but it was so sweet it was like look at all this charity work he's done and he loved his wife and he he planned out his funeral to the T. He said it shouldn't be any more than 60 minutes because he didn't want people wasting time on, like, on him. He just wanted it to be short and sweet and like it was really no sweet. my
1: nemesis my, yeah <laughs> my obituary he's just
0: like a simple sweet grandpa all
1: of my all of my will is just going to be like spend every penny i have on the most elaborate martin for a year <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. most elaborate funeral we can come up with elton john plays yeah. at my funeral yeah
0: find him do whatever you have to do to get him there um so ellison is told by martin gillespie to keep the crew in Heber until he could arrive with Officer Ken Coplin to interview the men. In less than an hour, Gillespie and Coplin arrive and heard the tale from the crew. Gillespie talks to all the boys individually, one-on-one, and he's very skeptical of the story. And his initial gut reaction is maybe the boys had been down in the woods partying, drinking, or doing psychedelics, Mm -hmm. and that Travis had gotten lost or been left behind. So Gillespie decides that he's going to search the car for any paraphernalia. So he searches the car and doesn't find so much as a beer can. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to note that the town of Snowflake, where the majority of these men are from, is a Mormon town. So even though this section of Arizona is mostly Native American, there's this population of Mormons living in Snowflake. Most people know Mormons famously don't drink or do drugs. Right. Yeah. And he says that he wants the boys to accompany him and the other officers down to the woods to show him where Walton had disappeared so that they can search for him together. Dwayne Smith, John Goulet, and Steve Pierce. this is at nighttime? Yeah. This is the same? Same night. So this is like 8 p.m., 8.30 p.m. now, maybe 9 p.m. Because they made the call at 7.30. It probably takes like 30 minutes for the first officer to get there and then another hour for Gillespie to get there. So maybe nine. Okay. So Steve Pierce, John Goulet, and Dwayne Smith are all too upset. And refuse to go back into the woods because of how scared they are. So they volunteer to drive Mike Rogers' truck back to Snowflake to his house and relay the bad news of Travis's disappearance to friends and family. Kenny Peterson, Alan Dallas, and Mike Rogers all agree to go back into the woods with the cops. So these three men lead the cops down to the clearing where Travis had been struck by the UFO's light beam. The officers and three crew members search the area extensively, but to no avail. At this point, the officers start to become suspicious of the story, since there is no physical evidence to present to back up the account. There's no trace of Walton, no evidence of a struggle, no evidence of a burn area from a light beam, nothing. The police called down more volunteers and searchers, but they still can't find Walton anywhere. Winter nights in this area can get down to 15 degrees Fahrenheit, and everybody was concerned that if Walton were still alive, he would succumb to hypothermia soon since he had been wearing jeans and a t-shirt only at the time of his disappearance. Your
1: obsession with cold woods I know. <laughs> abductions. Cold
0: woods and a group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike Rogers and Sheriff Coplin went to tell the news to Walton's mother. So after they establish that they can't find anybody, more searchers come down looking. Uh, The sheriff is very suspicious of the guys at this point. And he says to Mike, you're the crew boss. You need to come with me. We're going to go tell um, Travis's mom together what happened to him. So... Travis's mom is Mary Walton, and she lives on a small ranch about 10 miles from Snowflake. So they arrive at the ranch, knock on the door, and Mary answers. This is around maybe 1 a.m. at this point, 1 or 2 a.m. And Rogers tells her the story of what happened to Travis. But when he finishes telling the story, she doesn't say anything. So everyone's just kind of in silence looking at each other for a few minutes, and then she says, can you repeat that? So after Rogers repeats the story, she very calmly asks him, who else knows about this story so far? Sheriff Copland thought that this response was odd, to say the least. She didn't seem concerned about her son's well-being, and this made him even more suspicious that maybe something other than a UFO was responsible for Walton's absence. Copland and Rogers left Mary Walton's house and went home for the night. Meanwhile, so now it's around... No,
1: I want to keep talking to her. That cop sucks. I would have been like, what do you
0: mean? But and you know, later when when they're everyone's being interviewed about this, they say that she was in a probably in a state of shock, and she also had six kids, mm. and so she was used to them like getting into trouble, and
1: maybe she didn't want the other kids to know about it yet, yeah, or maybe
0: she just didn't want like I, maybe she's asking like, is this gonna be like something that all of my neighbors are gossiping about? Mm. Like I don't know that she's necessarily thinking that he's been killed. I think she's just really confused. And later when we like revisit her throughout the story, she is very emotional once days pass and they can't find him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't really put much stock in her not saying anything right away. I don't know how I would react if someone was like, hey, your son just got abducted by a UFO. I don't know what I would say. What would you say?
1: Tell me everything. Like, sit down. I've made some tea for us.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Can you draw it for me? I guess he did just spend an hour explaining to her the events leading up to it twice. Right. Mm Because she said, can you repeat that? Right. Okay. Okay. Now it's around 3 a.m. and Mary Walton calls one of her other sons, Dwayne Walton, and asked him to drive down from his home in Glendale, Arizona to Snowflake to help search for his brother. So by morning on Thursday, November 6th, officials and volunteers had scoured the area around the clearing where Walton went missing, but still no trace of him was discovered. In police's minds, this confirmed their suspicions that the UFO tale was really a cover-up for either an accident or a homicide. The sheriff's department sent cops over to check on the boys who had opted to go home instead of search the night before. According to Steve Pierce, this is a 17-year-old, the cops showed up at his front door early that morning. His mom answered the door when they knocked, and Steve heard the cops say to her, We think Travis Walton is dead and that your son and his co-workers killed him. His body's out there somewhere, and we're going to find him and arrest everyone. Steve, being only 17 years old at the time, heard this and was even more terrified than he had already been. He ran out the back door of his house and hid in his girlfriend's bedroom all day. While he was hiding, his girlfriend's mom came home, and from his hiding spot, Steve could hear her mom say to his girlfriend, You can't see Steve anymore. The cops are saying that those boys killed Travis. John Goulet said that the next day he went out to search for Travis in the clearing and that the cop he was paired up with in the search party kept saying to him look we know you guys did it just make it easy on yourself and tell us where you stashed the body so we can all just go home. All the boys maintained their innocence and stuck to the story about the UFO. Searches continued through Friday, but on Saturday, November 8th, Mike Rogers and Dwayne Walton, Travis's brother, went back into the woods to continue searching only to find that no police presence was there. They had already given up. They both storm into Sheriff Gillespie's office, explosively angry, quote unquote, demanding that search parties continue looking for Travis. By that afternoon, police dispatched helicopters, horse-mounted officers, and jeeps. They even brought in tracking dogs from the nearby prison. The dogs were able to track Travis's scent from the area where the men said that he was standing before the UFO blasted him over to the area where he had supposedly fallen. But the dogs couldn't find any trace, any other trace of Travis's scent anywhere else. So only in those two spots. One where he was standing before he got blasted and one where he landed. There was also a
1: searcher who brought not even where he walked from the car to there. No,
0: they only those two spots were where the scent was picked up. Mm. I know. Very interesting. There was also another searcher who brought a Geiger counter with him, which is a device that measures radiation. Mike Rogers saw this man and approached him, asking what he was doing. The searcher explained that he was using a Geiger counter, hoping to prove that no UFOs had been in the area. So this is a skeptic that's trying to prove that Mm. this story's bullshit. Rogers noted that the Geiger counter was ticking, showing a reading of one and a half. When he questioned the man, the man said, No, that's just background radiation, see? and held the Geiger counter up to his radium dial watch, showing that now the counter was registering a reading of three, which is normal for a radium watch. He then ran the Geiger counter over Mike Rogers and got no reading. He seemed very pleased by this and said smugly, see, you guys weren't in the presence of a UFO. Mike responded, hey, wait a minute. A few days have already passed and I've showered and changed. Wait here. He went to his truck, which was nearby, and pulled out all of the hard hats that everyone had been wearing the night of the abduction. When the man waved his Geiger counter over the hard hats, the reading jumped up to a six indicating abnormally high levels of radiation were present on the hard hats. This made the searcher angry and he refused to test any other items and left the search altogether. By Saturday, word of Walton's disappearance had spread internationally. So we
1: don't wait. No one got the name or info of this? No, nobody
0: knows who he is to this day.
1: So he could just be bullshit. Like Um, he could
0: be made up. Maybe. But there are witnesses that saw him out there with the Geiger counter. Okay. They just don't know who he is. Okay. So it could have just been some random person from the public that's a skeptic and is like, oh, I'm going to prove this wrong and get a scoop on the story. It could have been or it could have been like a hobbyist Mm -hmm. or it could have been someone that the police hired because they clearly don't believe whatever's. Whatever story is being told to them. So, on the same day that this Geiger counter guy um, happens, news of this story has already spread internationally. So, news reporters, ufologists, which I didn't realize was a thing, um, and the curious begin to travel to Snowflake. Among the visitors was Fred Silvanus, a Phoenix UFO investigator who interviewed Rogers and Dwayne Walton on Saturday, November 8th. While repeatedly expressing worry for Walton's well being and criticizing the police, Both men would later make statements that would return to haunt haunt them when seized upon by critics. On the recordings made by Sylvanus Rogers noted that because of Walton's disappearance and the subsequent search, he would be unable to complete his contract with the Forest Service, and he hoped that the search for his missing friend would mitigate the situation. So basically he's saying, I have this contract. It has to be completed within a certain amount of weeks. We were already behind. Now I have this man that went missing. The search parties had to go and disassemble all of those log slashings Mm. to look to see if a body was stashed in them. So now they have all this extra work ahead of them. They're going to have to restack all of those logs. And so some people think that this is a motive to fake or to hoax. But I think why would anyone in their right mind create more work for themselves when they're already behind schedule? And it wasn't even a big deal that they were behind schedule. It was apparently like pretty flexible contract and it wasn't unusual for people to run behind. Mm -hmm. The reduction in pay that they would be looking at was so negligible that the amount of trouble It would go to to get six dudes on the same page about a hoax. Doesn't really make any sense. What
1: I'm stuck on right now is that the dogs couldn't find any scent of him anywhere else. And the Geiger
0: counter, right? So, like, how could they fake radiation on their hard hats? How could they fake the scent? There should be scent of
1: him because he was logging with them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense that his scent is not in other... I mean, I guess I don't
0: know if they had him smell the car because Mm -hmm. I think everyone is in agreement that he was in the car at some point. So maybe that wasn't important to them. Well,
1: if I was going to be a skepti- skeptic, I would say like maybe he was never there. I don't know. Mm. I'm just trying to think. But then where would That's he be? if interesting. He was yeah. a real person. Yeah. <laughs> and he's missing that. Yeah. So true. Okay.
0: That's a good point, though. I hadn't considered that. And then the other thing that comes to bite them in the ass through this interview that they do is Travis's brother, Dwayne, reports that he and Walton have always been quite interested in UFOs and that some 12 years earlier, Dwayne had witnessed a UFO similar to the one witnessed by the logging crew. Dwayne reported that he and Walton had both decided that if they had the chance, they would get as close as possible to any UFO that they might see, which same, right? Like if you're really interested in UFOs and you finally see one, Mm -hmm. would you not be... Curious. Right. And this is the so 70s his, where people his are less open minded.
1: Imagination is not credible or something. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Or because he's already interested. Maybe he wants fame mm-hmm. for seeing a UFO or something. Dwayne also says that he, he has faith that Travis would not be injured by the aliens because, quote, aliens rarely harm people. And he's basing this off of, you know, stories, other stories that have been in the media over the years throughout pretty much all of history where people get abducted. And the reason why we know that they got abducted is because they get returned and they tell us about it. Mm -hmm. Right. However... I think an interesting theory is what if aliens do kill people and that's where a lot of our unsolved missing cases come from? We so just,
1: you're telling me they never found a body? This is the end of the story?
0: No, I'm still going. Oh God, I'm I need to going. know more. Okay, so Rogers and Dwayne Walton had laid the foundations for an alternative interpretation of the case with their statements. Shortly after the Sylvanus interview, Snowflake Town Marshal sanford flake announced that the entire affair was a prank engineered by dwayne and travis
1: wait who's sanford was he on the job he's the town marshal
0: it's like a rural he wasn't there no he's not there the name snowflake is named after these two prominent mormon families one had the surname snow and one had the surname flake Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people that are descendants of that family still hold positions of power and that's where the town gets its name snowflake so this guy is from the Flake family and he is the town marshal. Okay. So he decides that even though they haven't found Travis yet, he wants to announce that this is a prank. It's a hoax and it's engineered by Dwayne and Travis. So by his brother and him uh, and that this is evidenced by that interview they gave saying they've always been interested in UFOs. And he says that they had fooled the logging crew by lighting a balloon and releasing it at the appropriate time to fool all of the other men, which makes no sense. And Flake's own wife goes on record saying, No, that makes no sense, (laughs) and my husband's story is just as far-fetched as Dwayne Walton's.
1: And then she got spanked.
0: Probably, yeah or worse okay <laughs> in the meantime police officers were making repeated visits to mary walton's home Dwayne walton once returned there to find her in tears as she was being questioned in her living room Dwayne told the police to leave unless they had something new to relate or to ask Dwayne suggested that she speak with the police only on the front porch which would allow her to end the interview anytime she chose by simply going inside and she did exactly that on several occasions This led Officer Clark to write in his notes that he felt that Mary was hiding something or hiding someone because she wouldn't allow him into her house. Mm. However, if he keeps visiting her and bugging her while she's grieving over not being able to find her son, I wouldn't let a jerk that's accusing me of something into my house either while I'm grieving, right? Why don't
1: they get a warrant to search her house?
0: Well, they'd already been in there too. I don't know how big her house was. Maybe they'd already looked around. I'm not sure. Hmm. Okay. on Monday, November 10th, all of Roger's remaining crew took polygraph exams administered by Cy Gilson, an Arizona Department of Public Safety employee. And this guy for the time was supposedly like the guru of polygraph tests. And all of the guys ask for the polygraph test because they want to prove that they're not lying. And right now they're being investigated for murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the only reason why they're not in jail is because they haven't found a body yet. And so they even say uh, that they'll take truth serum which is something that the government during the time was experimenting with. I forget what it's called. Binsum that- Sodiate or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's bullshit, right? Later, we we now know that it doesn't make anyone tell the truth. I think it just makes people sweat a lot. But but they volu- they're like, hey, give it to us. We want you to believe us or give us polygraphs. They don't give them the truth serum, but they do administer polygraphs. They ask a series of questions so that these are all administered, obviously, individually with only themselves and then the polygraph um, examiner in the room together. And some of the questions are, did any of you cause harm to Walton? Do you know who, if anyone, caused harm to Walton? Do you know where Walton's body is? Do you know if Walton's body is buried? Did you see a UFO? All of the men deny harming Walton. They deny knowing who had harmed Walton, and they deny knowing where his body is, and they all say that yes, they did see a UFO. The only person who doesn't pass the polygraph test is Dallas. Alan Dallas, the tough guy, Mm -hmm. he literally gets so angry during the polygraph test because he's like a hot-blooded guy Mm -hmm. and they're being really condescending with their questions that he just gets up and rips the electrodes from his body and just leaves. He's like, fuck this. I'm out. So he had actually passed all of the questions, but it's considered inconclusive Mm -hmm. because he didn't finish the test. He just hulked out. of. Yeah. He was like, fuck you. I didn't murder anybody. And I'm telling the truth. And they're being really condescending, like, oh, you saw a spaceship. And he's like this really tough guy. (laughs) So Gilson concludes, this is the polygraph examiner, that all of the men are telling the truth and that the exam results are conclusive. Clark quotes from Gilson's official report, these polygraph examinations prove that these five men did see some object that they at least believed to be a UFO and that Travis Walton was not injured or murdered by any of the men on that Wednesday. If the UFO was fake, Gilson thought, Five of these men had no prior knowledge of it. So now we've established that now the cops believe, okay, these guys didn't murder him. So now there's only two theories. Either a UFO really did come and abduct Travis Walton, or Travis Walton and Duane have this elaborate hoax plan where they released a balloon into the atmosphere and tricked all these guys into thinking it right. was a UFO.
1: I tra- Travis, the guy that went disappearing, right? mm
0: mm-hmm. yeah. When
1: he walked away and gave the weird look, maybe he it was a thing. He's I like don't acting. Know. Yeah, yeah, but...
0: But how did he fly upward with his arms out and then shoot backward 10 to 20 feet and like land on the ground super hard and like limp?
1: The fact that it was only eight feet by 20 feet, that's pretty small.
0: It's small. But do you think that somebody would be able to take the time to like manufacture that and to make it disappear so convincingly into the air like it's like what is it then? Is it. makeshift if it was a really
1: really bright light this is like from theatrics if it was a really bright light people are blinded by that bright light so if they were to just turn that light off for an instant our brains would be like oh it because we already think it's a spaceship it just took off really fast and disappeared
0: and then during the few minutes that it took them to go back that it was gone right okay so if it's a balloon, maybe they popped it and like...
1: Or if it was just a super bright light, yeah, he could have hit it while they were gone. I don't know.
0: OK, so...
1: Who was the guy that got down on the floorboard? Alan Dallas, the guy that's the tough guy. So that to me is... there's That's weird. You no. think so? I think it's- he was
0: still... He like lifted his head up and was still looking through the window, but he his gut reaction was to like fall onto the floor because he was like but
1: shit he's also said oh if i were to see a ufo i would no, get no. as close to it." that as was possible. travis uh, the guy
0: that got out of the car
1: i want to know more about this weird look he gave
0: okay so dallas later admits that the only reason why he left the polygraph examination was one because they were being condescending towards him and two because he'd concealed a criminal record and so he just walked out of the exam.
1: He was like, oh, I just did that because I have actually murdered somebody else. And I didn't want you guys to I don't to
0: get remember that. what his crime was. It wasn't murder. I don't know if it was that he beat somebody up or that he stole something. I, I don't. I genuinely don't remember. Then following the polygraph test, Sheriff Gillespie announces to the public that he officially accepts the UFO story, <gasps> saying there's no doubt that they're telling the truth. Just before midnight on Monday, November 10th, so this is now five days later, Grant Neff, who was married to Travis's sister, Allison, reportedly answered his home telephone in Taylor, Arizona, a few miles away from Snowflake. The caller spoke in a weak voice, saying, This is Travis. I'm at the phone booth at the Heber gas station and I need help. Come and get me, quick. Initially, Neff says that he thought the caller was just a prankster because the whole family had been getting prank calls from skeptics, prank calls from kids in the neighborhood, and calls from supposedly the FBI Mm. and the CIA Mm. and the police. And so they were just so used to all these calls coming through that he's just like, yeah, yeah, you're not Travis. However, before Neff could hang up the telephone... The caller spoke to him again, nearly hysterical and screaming, It's me, Grant. I'm hurt and I need help badly. You have to come and get me. Neff thought the panic scream seemed genuine and that it might really be Travis after all. So he called Travis's brother, Duane, and they both drove to the gas station. They state that there they find Travis collapsed in the second of three telephone booths. He had on the same clothes as when he disappeared. Still not warm enough to have protection from the 20 degrees Fahrenheit nights in the woods. They thought that Travis seemed thinner and that his beard was grown out. God,
1: don't please think. don't fucking die before they can talk to you.
0: Right. And so some people have criticized. Well, why wouldn't they call the cops as soon as they got this phone call? Why did they just because decide I to go there? thought it was fake but they thought one they thought it was fake and two at this they still didn't trust the cops at this point because even though the the head sheriff had come out saying we believe this UFO story or I believe this UFO mm-hmm. story There were still other cops that were unconvinced. Also, when
1: your friend that's been missing for as long as he's been missing is saying, I'm hurt, come get me. Like I'm
0: dying, essentially. Right. Like
1: this is a time before cell phones. Absolutely. This is a time before. Internet. Yeah. Before communication is as easy as it is now. So you would just get in the car and go because you don't know what's going to happen to this person.
0: Exactly. And also they had been receiving these weird phone calls and supposedly some of the phone calls that they had gotten from people that said they were CIA or FBI is they were saying hey whatever you do if Travis shows back up again do not let the cops get to him first because there have been documented cases of the FBI secreting people away or cops secreting people away to do tests on them and experiments on them to see if they were really abducted you might never see him again you might not even ever know that he was really found and Mm. so they were scared and they thought one it's their family member and he's saying that he's like mortally wounded Mm -hmm. two they're not even sure if it's really him and three they don't want the wrong person to come across him before they can. So that's the argument for why they went together. What get does he him. say? What does he say? What does okay. he say? I the have to know. Going. I know. I was like falling asleep. I'm
1: really glad that the body, like the person shows up back alive because now we can figure, figure it out. Yeah. yeah.
0: So they found him. He's frail, he's weak, he's basically passed out, you know, laying on the ground in this telephone booth. He uh, has the same clothes on, he's dirty, he's disheveled, his stubble is grown out, and he looks gaunt and thin and malnourished, which makes sense if he's either been wandering in a forest for 5 days or or if he in was a abducted, spaceship. right? Yeah. So on the drive back to Snowflake, Travis seems really afraid, shaken, anxious, and repeatedly mumbling about seeing beings with terrifying eyes. That's all he'll say while he's in the car. Beings with terrifying eyes and they can't really make out what he's saying. He thought he'd been gone for only a few hours. And when they tell him that he'd been absent nearly a week, he seems completely stunned and stops speaking at all. So the way they describe it, I like have chills right now because the way that they describe it is he's talking about beings with terrifying eyes or they're going to get me or like these beings, you know, I can't remember the last few hours. And they go, no, you've been gone for a week and he goes what and he doesn't believe them and they're like touch your face and he touches his face and he feels this beard that's been growing and he just is so stunned that he stops speaking and he's just sitting there in catatonic shock that's a terrifying thing yeah like you've lost a week of your life and you don't know what happened Mm -hmm. Dwayne Walton said that he decided not to reveal Travis's return immediately out of concern for his brother's apparently fragile condition however by not notifying authorities Dwayne would face charges that he was complicit in a cover up of evidence he or Travis might not want police to see. At his mother's house, so he takes, obviously, he takes Travis to his mom's house. Travis takes a bath and tries to eat, but he keeps vomiting up everything. He can't keep any food down. And when he weighs himself, he had lost 10 pounds. Wow. Prior Please to... Please abduct
1: me, Alien. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's like Kelly from The Office where she's like, please put a tapeworm in my body. (laughs) So prior to finding Travis, his brother Dwayne had been hit up by a couple of prominent members of UFO societies and ufologists. And there's this guy whose last name is Spaulding. And he had said, if you ever find your brother, as soon as you find him, get him to pee into a cup so that we can analyze his urine. As Spaulding had suggested, Dwayne tells Travis to keep a sample of his first urination following his return. And now the cops receive a tip from a telephone company employee. About 2.30 in the morning, the phone company says, hey, somebody called the Neff family from a payphone at the Heber gas station. Gillespie sends two deputies to dust the booths for fingerprints, but as near as the deputies could tell in the dark, none of the prints were Travis's. This fact would be noted, noted by critics who thought the entire affair was a prank, while supporters argued that a fingerprint examination carried out in the dark Early morning hours by two sheriffs wielding flashlights was hardly ideal and by no means exhaustive.
1: Right. And it's a payphone. So there's like hundreds of people that could have used it. Between right. Now and then.
0: Exactly. So Spalding, in addition to telling Dwayne that if his brother ever returns, he should keep a sample of his urine, had also offered to have this uh, ufology society that he was a part of do a medical examination upon his brother's return. Uh, and this was a promise of a confidential medical examination. And so he still doesn't want to take Travis to the police yet because he's afraid of someone kidnapping him or secreting him away or him getting shipped off to mm-hmm. the gov- like some government place or about him having really invasive medical procedures that are then publicized because at this point, the whole world is on notice about this. Like the National Enquirer is covering it. Which I didn't even realize the National Enquirer was around in the 70s. But it's also kind of a joke. Yeah. Newspaper. Totally.
1: So that doesn't really help with the validity of the story. Well, but I
0: guess back in the day they were less of a joke and they actually broke some news stories that were real. Mm. Uh, And they just also happened to cover UFO abduction stories. The
1: news that matters.
0: The news that we
1: care about. Like
0: they had some gossip and some questionable bullshit but then they also... Who
1: wants to read about like politics that aren't going to even matter in two months when you can
0: read about alien, alien abductions. abductions and ghosts probably yeah. and uh duane decides to drive travis to phoenix arizona late tuesday morning where they were to meet with dr lester stewart who's the doctor that's recommended by this ufology society mm-hmm. the waltons reported that they were disappointed to learn that stewart was not actually a medical doctor as spaulding had promised but was a hypnotherapist <gasps>
1: damn it i
0: know god so damn it obviously the waltons are like what the fuck you said that like we came here to get a confidential medical examination that you promised us we don't want this hypnotherapist this pseudo doctor to mm-hmm. conduct any studies not, on my brother this is not going to help no our case right at all exactly. this is actually going to make it worse right so they spent 45 minutes kind of arguing trying to figure out like what are this guy's qualifications at all and then they decide that, no, this guy does not have any credible credentials. And so they say, we're going to leave. But later, critics say, well, they spent 45 minutes with this hypnotherapist that's linked to this ufology society. What if they were being coached on what to say? Mm. So it could go either way. So Travis's return makes the news. By Tuesday afternoon, word of Travis's return had leaked out to the public. Dwayne took a telephone call from Spalding and told Spalding not to bother the family again. So now this Spalding guy is like pissed and no longer on the side of the Waltons because they refuse to get treated by this pseudo-doctor hypnotherapist. So Clark writes that after this telephone call, Spalding became a sworn enemy of the case. So now they have more people against them, and that's not good. Among the other telephone calls after news of Travis's return was one from Coral Lorenzen of APRO, a civilian UFO research group.
1: <laughs> she... The 70s were wild. I
0: know, right? So it's a civilian UFO research group. She promised Dwayne that she could arrange an examination for Travis by two medical doctors, general practitioner Joseph Saltz, and pediatrician Howard Kindle at Duane's home. Duane agreed, and the exam began about 3.30 p.m. on Tuesday. Between Lorenzen's call and the physician's examinations, another party would enter and hugely complicate the story. Lorenzen was telephoned by an employee of the National Enquirer, an American tabloid newspaper known for its sensationalistic tone. The Inquirer employee promised to finance APRO's investigation in exchange for cooperation and access to the Waltons. Since the Inquirer's financial resources were far greater than APRO's, Lorenzen agreed to the arrangement. The medical examination revealed that Travis was essentially in good health, but they did note two unusual features. A small red dot on the crease of Travis's right elbow was consistent with a hypodermic needle injection. But the doctors also noted that the spot was not near a vein, So they weren't sure why there was a hypodermic needle injection. And later, this also comes back to bite them because critics say- It's drugs. That it's drugs, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of hilarious because the drugs that they accuse him of injecting himself with is a combination of mushrooms and angel dust.
1: What's angel dust? Like PCP? Yeah,
0: I don't know. Like heroin or something? But it's like, that's not a combination.
1: Also, yeah, like no one injects mushrooms.
0: I know. First of all, no one injects mushrooms. <laughs> you, well, Second if of you all, can,
1: I need to know about this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but like, it's not the stupidest thing you've ever heard. It sounds like a bunch of Mormons, Mormons that are like, oh, you, you injected yourself with angel dust. You You like cooked in a kettle. Yeah. Mushrooms and distilled them down to a liquid and then put angel dust over it and injected yourself
1: here on. Let's get haunted. We don't discriminate between religions and organizations. We think everyone is out to get each other. Yeah.
0: We think everybody is just full of shit. Yeah.
1: Every organization (laughs) is full of
0: shit. I mean, let's be honest. The majority of religions don't condone drug use mm-hmm. so their view on what drug use is is super naive and uneducated
1: also a lot of religions don't like the idea of there being supernatural forces um like aliens because that kind of negates this idea that man is made in god's image and absolutely are, like the one sentient being yeah that's a great point so yeah. this
0: why would this mormon town just believe blindly right right Okay, so that's the first weird thing they find is that hypodermic needle mark. And then analysis of Travis's urine revealed a lack of ketones. This was unusual given that if Travis had indeed been gone for five days with little. His
1: body would be burning fat for fuel. I know all about this. Yeah,
0: okay, so yeah. You'd be in
1: ketosis.
0: Exactly. And he wasn't. So this was unusual because, like you said, if Travis had indeed been gone for five days with little to no food, as he insisted, and and as his 10 pound weight loss suggested, his body should have begun breaking down fats in order to survive. And this should have led to very high levels of ketone in his urine, which is weird. And
1: if he's been being like nursed back to health, he's been drinking water, so that would flush all of that out of his system.
0: And also, we don't know what kind of technology and medicinal technology the aliens, the aliens have, have, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe
1: it was them that put the needle in him.
0: yeah, maybe it was it's some form of medicine that even though it, it didn't go into a vein, and that's how our medicine would work. Like mm-hmm. if you're being fed intravenously, obviously yeah. it goes into a vein. But maybe they have some other form of technology that you don't need to go into a vein. Also,
1: like, I love this idea that aliens are super sophisticated and know what is going on. You know, right. think about majority. Think about like us going to space in the 60s. You know, like right. our spacecraft that we had to leave our atmosphere is super, super uh, primitive. D- yeah, primitive. We. It's amazing that people even survive that long. So I'm going to guarantee that the type of people who are or the type of aliens that they are, or, like their best astronauts or whatever they're probably not the best doctors in the world they're probably just really good at math or physics or like whatever alien That's technology a point too. is yeah. put on yeah so they probably show up to earth they see all those slashes the logs yeah. and the x mark and they're like oh x marks the spot. <laughs> like let's go this over must here. be
0: important let's study this right and then like
1: a human starts walking up towards them and they're like oh shit like fucking kill it <laughs> yeah. like, this is terrifying and then the right. other one's like no, no no beam it up like we have to take samples and they're like okay I've never used this beam before like we've been educated on what to do if we see a ufo but like i've never actually seen one and then right. one of them's like just press it and then he presses it and they're like you killed it like fuck what are we gonna do bring they, it aboard the ship and then they like take off in their spaceship and disappear and then they're like okay the truck is gone go back and get it And they're like no you get out and get it i just, like, just picture i love
0: that in that in this scenario the aliens are just as stupid as we are yeah i think 100 which is just as likely as them being smarter than us right because we don't know
1: <laughs> then they get the human in their spaceship or whatever and they're like what the fuck do we do and they're like i don't know put it to sleep yeah. <laughs> so they can't wake up and get mad at us yeah because they're probably super small if they're in this tiny spacecraft right
0: well and later we'll hear a, a description of the aliens so God, i'm so psychic yeah
1: and yeah so they get this guy up there and they're like put it to sleep and they're like i don't know how to do it like he's coming alive and they're just like ah and like stick this like Whatever into him, yeah, to (laughs) make him better. (laughs) Right, because they have no idea the anatomy of the human form. How could they?
0: That's true. We don't even know if they have veins. Right. The other thing about the urinalysis that some people criticize is that there's also no guarantee that this was actually Travis's urine. So we're basically just taking Travis's brother's word that this is Travis's this is urine. urine it could be anybody's urine right
1: right he would have no reason to not use it, his that's urine. my
0: thing too well, unless there were drugs, drugs. Yeah, yeah unless there were drugs in the system but was to
1: say that aliens don't like to shoot up
0: but also in the scenario that Dwayne is covering for Travis because he went on a bender that still doesn't explain the UFO in the sky that all of the other people saw and they passed their polygraph test like there's only a couple of scenarios that make sense either Dwayne and Travis are in on it and mm-hmm. created this UFO Scenario in which case Travis would most certainly not be on drugs, right? Or Travis went on a bender, Mm -hmm. and but that doesn't explain how the other people saw the UFO. It doesn't make sense to me that Dwayne would just automatically know that he should pee in this cup Mm. to like help further whatever narrative, yeah. So Travis would later speculate that he had gotten the mark on his elbow and during the course of his logging work, but critics, like we talked about, said maybe it was an injection mark from a mixture of angel dust and. (laughs) shrooms why is that the first thing they think of anyway
1: they must know some things that i don't know i don't even know what angel dust is i feel like i've heard of it when we were in dare angel dust and pcp but like i actually don't really know what it is is it
0: heroin it's pcp
1: what is pcp though
0: uh, it is phencyclidine. No, don't,
1: don't, no. I don't actually need to know the scientific nomenclature. Okay, it's a
0: drug used for mind-altering effects. It can cause hallucinations, distorted perceptions of sounds, and violent behavior. Do you remember? No, I know
1: what it does, oh. but I'm just saying, it's, it's a code name for something, right? Like, it's like heroin or black tar cocaine or something. No, it's know. its own
0: drug. Oh. PCP is its own drug.
1: I feel like it was popular in the 90s because, like, we learned so much about it in Dare.
0: It reached its peak usage in the 1970s between 2005 and 2011, an increase in PCP spiked.
1: Isn't that the thing that makes people, like, eat someone's face in Florida? I think
0: that was bath salts, but I'm pretty sure. I know that that guy, there was a guy on PCP. So the homeless guy on bath salts ate someone's face. And then there was another guy that, like, ate his neighbor's face. And that guy was on PCP. (laughs)
1: Why does BCP make people act like a rabid dog? I
0: don't know. I think it like makes your brain swell or oh. something. I don't know. Don't quote me, but I
1: won't. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Also, if he was going on this bender, why would he need to disappear on his job from logging to go on this bender?
0: Well, that's the other thing. It doesn't look. It just doesn't make any sense. And also these two medical doctors, which you could argue they're biased because they've been contracted by this other ufology group. Mm -hmm. But these two medical doctors that are supposed to be impartial say that they find no evidence of drug use either in his past or presently. Okay. So I'm just going to take that at, at its word because yeah. he's a Mormon logger. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and I choose to believe that.
1: He's a Mormon logger. Yeah building a log cabin for his future family.
0: Yeah, just he's doing the Lord's work, <laughs> taking down sick trees so yeah. that the healthy ones can flourish. The other weird thing is that the doctors don't really find any, like they don't find any broken bones, which if he had fa- like fallen so like hard, hard and hit his there shoulder. should be something, right?
1: Right, a stress, a bruise, mm-hmm. Yeah, stress anything. fracture, a
0: bruise, a cut, but it also has been five days, so maybe any bruise would have healed by then. I don't know. That seems like if everyone thought he was dead, that seems pretty intense. So when Sheriff Gillespie learns of Travis's return through the mass media, He's really pissed off. Gillespie thought that he had demonstrated his belief in the UFO story with his announcement following the polygraph exams. However, Dwayne was still bitter over what he saw as the lackadaisical search effort during Travis's absence. So Gillespie's pissed basically because he's like, hey, I said I believe you. Like I publicly said, I I believe the UFO story following Mm -hmm. all of the polygraphs everyone took. So why would you go to this ufology group instead of me Mm -hmm. uh, after finding your brother? Salty. Yeah. But Dwayne's like, look. Maybe you believe it, but the fact that you guys just gave up searching at a certain point and we had to like bug you to continue searching for him and the fact that a lot of your men are still perpetuating rumors in the town saying that he was murdered by mm-hmm. his friends or that this is a made up hoax, like we're not OK with that and we don't trust you. Right. Travis then told Gillespie what had happened during the five days he'd been gone. Yes. It was the first time he would told anyone the tale other than his family, or close friends. Travis in the UFO. So later critics would say Walton's experience stands out by virtue of its not being particularly bizarre as far as abduction accounts go. Travis reported that after approaching the UFO near the work site, the last thing he remembered was being struck by the beam of light. When he awoke, Travis said that he was on a reclined bed. A bright light shone above him and the air was heavy and wet. He was in pain and had some trouble breathing and his first thought was that he was in a normal hospital. He thought he was mortal wounded like he just remembers coming to and it's really blurry and it's like he's seeing double so he can't even tell who's around him and he thinks he's looking at a doctor but later when his vision comes to he realizes that he's surrounded by three figures each wearing a sort of orange jumpsuit and the figures are not human that's so scary I know No, like that Uh, gives me chills. Travis describes the beings as typical of the so-called greys, but he doesn't call them greys. But you know how there's different aliens. And so I think that that's a point towards him because it doesn't say I was abducted by greys, indicating that he knows a lot about aliens. Mm -hmm. This is just later. People are like, oh, this is a description of the greys. And he says that they're shorter than five feet. They had bald heads, no hair. Their heads were domed and very large, and they looked like fetuses. They had large eyes enormous, almost all brown, without much white to them. The creepiest thing about them were those eyes. They just stared at me, he said. Their noses, ears, and mouths all seemed really small, maybe just because their eyes were so huge, though. Mm -hmm. Travis related that he feared for his safety and got to his feet and shouted at the creatures to stay away. He grabbed a glass-like cylinder from a nearby shelf and tried to break its tip to create a makeshift knife but found that the object was unbreakable. So instead... That sucks. I know. He's like in flight or fight mode, and he's like, he picks fight, and he just grabs this like thing that looks like a glass light bulb, and he tries to shatter it to create a shank, and it won't shatter. And these beings are just staring at him while he's trying to break it. So he grabs a glass-like cylinder. It doesn't break. And the trio of creatures puts up their arms in the universal gesture for stop (laughs) like Like, be cool yeah we we give up (laughs) like we surrender and we mean you no harm i guess is maybe the better way to say it they leave him in the room so they retreat from the room with their arms (laughs) up and leave him there
1: (laughs) yeah they're like we made it mad they go into the hallway and they're like fuck what do we do and they're like i told you not to go
0: back and get right (laughs) but some critics say like this could just be him Trying to make himself seem more macho, like saying, I jumped up and I grabbed this thing and I tried to fight the aliens. And, and so some critics that believe him say that that probably didn't happen because he was an avid fan of karate oh. and probably wanted to show that he was like ready to fight.
1: But if you're an avid fan of karate, the yeah. first thing you're going to do is use your karate. Right? And if
0: you're a mount- burly mountain man logger, you're going to be full of testosterone anyway. And you probably use that testosterone. Yeah. In most situations. Me after
1: I'm like hyped up from a day of logging and I get (laughs) abducted by aliens, like who even knows the amount of adrenaline that's coursing through you, right? Exactly.
0: (laughs) And if you think that you're going to be killed by three inhuman creatures, who knows what any of us would do?
1: Definitely karate if I knew
0: it. Right? If I knew (laughs) any form of self-defense, I would use it. (laughs) Travis then left the exam room via a hallway. So he's calling it an exam room. We don't know that it's an exam room. He thinks it's an exam room because he's on his back on a slab. And he describes it as this stainless steel slab. And it has a stainless steel strap over him. And the weirdest part about this whole room as he's describing it is that when we think of a stainless steel room like we can see seams in the Mm -hmm. walls right this room had no seams no rivets no divots nothing it's completely smooth shiny stainless steel and it looks like it has no end there's no beginning or end to the material it's just one giant thing right he sees uh, a hallway and he walks into a spherical room with only a high-backed chair placed in the center of the room. Though he was afraid there might be someone seated in the chair, he walked towards it. As he did, lights began to appear in the room. The chair was empty, he sat in it. When he did, the room was filled with lights, similar to stars projected on a round planetarium ceiling. The chair was equipped on the left arm with a single short, thick lever, with an oddly shaped molded handle atop some dark brown material on the right arm there was an illuminated lime green screen five inches square with black lines intersected at all angles when travis pushed the lever the stars rotated around him slowly when he released the lever the stars remained at their new position he decided to stop manipulating the lever since he had no idea what it did
1: (laughs) yeah that's what i was thinking i was like
0: like is he driving the spaceship (laughs) right now like these aliens are probably pissed they're like we're trying to do a good deed where did they go they retreated down. hall and he Mm. went the opposite direction oh how did he get out of the strap on the bed as soon as he came to and jumped up the strap fell off of him in such a way though that he couldn't see a clasp or anything it just looked like it had almost like disintegrated off of him when he sat up Mm. He leaves the chair and the stars disappear. Travis thought he had seen a rectangular outline on the rounded wall, perhaps a door, and went to look for it. Just then, Travis heard a sound behind him. He turned, expecting more of the short, large-eyed creatures, but was pleasantly surprised to see a tall human figure wearing blue coveralls with a glassy helmet. At the time, Travis said he did not realize how odd the man's eyes were, larger than normal and a bright gold color. He then asked the man a number of questions. The man only grinned and motioned for Travis to follow him because of the man's helmet, he might have been unable to hear him, so he followed the man down a hallway, which led to a door and a steep ramp down to a large room. Travis described the room to being similar to an aircraft hangar. Travis said he realized he'd just left a disc-shaped craft similar to the one he'd seen in the forest just before he'd been struck by the bluish light, but the craft was perhaps twice as large. In the hangar-like room, Travis reported seeing other disc-shaped crafts. So basically, he's in a parking garage. Is what he's describing, okay. like a space, a parking garage and space where all of these spacecrafts are parked, and okay. he just exited one of the spacecrafts. The man led him to another room containing three more humans: a woman and two men. All of these people resemble the helmeted man, and he says it's almost like they were clones of each other. Mm. Like they look so similar, they look kind of weird. They're not talking, but they are human-like. Right. So it's like uncanny valley. Like maybe right. it was
1: aliens, like trying to like trying, to, trying to, to mimic it,
0: or yeah. maybe they were doing studies on humans and had cloned humans Mm. and were raising them in these ships to observe. Mm. Who knows? So these people did, but these people did not wear helmets. So Travis says he began asking questions of them. They responded with the same dull grin, not saying a word and led him by his arm to a small table. Once he was seated at the table, Travis says, he realized the woman held a device like an oxygen mask, which she placed on his face. Before he could fight back, he passed out. When he awoke again, Travis said he was outside the gas station in Heber, Arizona. One of the disc-shaped crafts was hovering just above the highway. After a moment, the craft shot away and Travis stumbled to the telephones and called his brother-in-law, Grant Neff. He thought that only a few hours had passed. After hearing Travis's story, Gillespie speculated that Travis may have been hit on the head and drugged and taken to a normal hospital where he had confused the details of a routine examination with something more spectacular. However, no medical examiner could find any trace of head trauma or drugs in his system and Sheriff Gillespie ordered independent testing on him and also Sheriff Gillespie investigated with all of the surrounding hospitals and nobody had reported having anyone matching Travis's description in in the hospital during that time frame Travis told Sheriff Gillespie that he was willing to take a polygraph a truth serum or undergo hypnosis to support his account Gillespie said that a polygraph would suffice and he promised to arrange one in secret to avoid the growing media circus. Duane and Travis then drove to Scottsdale, Arizona, where a meeting with APRO consultant James A. Harder had been arranged. Harder hypnotized Travis, hoping to uncover more details of the missing five days. Unlike many other abductees, however, Walton's conscious recall and unconscious memory were the same, and he could account for only a maximum of two hours and perhaps less of his missing five days. Curiously, Walton encountered an impenetrable mental block And expressed the view that he would die if the regression continued in the meantime spalding so that's the other ufology group that Mm -hmm. they didn't want to be a part of and so now it's they're like their nemesis he said that the doctor that's not really a doctor had actually questioned walton for two hours and that he had told a completely different story to that doctor
1: god i just want to get like all of the skepticism bullshit out of the way so we can just talk about that alien abduction experience
0: okay So um, he passes the polygraph is the main point. And I sent you a link last night for a UFO convention Mm -hmm. in LA. Travis Walton's going to be at that convention. (gasps) We have to go. And he's doing a panel where he's going to talk. So he's passed every single polygraph that he's ever taken. And there's really no reason for him to have done a hoax or committed fraud or anything like that. Unless he wanted to be
1: famous. I would love to be speaking on a panel at a UFO right.
0: convention. But he actually testifies, and same with all the other guys in his crew, that this incident actually ruined their lives for a period of time. There were people who were really angry. There were religious people that thought that they were like devil worshipers. There was this guy, Philip Class, who I guess is just an asshole. And he is his <laughs> whole job. He's like this famous guy whose whole job was to f- go around the country finding people that- saying that they had been abducted by aliens and just shit on them. Mm-hmm. And he would publish articles being like, this is like a fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> this guy is stupid. No one should ever hire him. And like smear campaigns against wow. people saying they had been abducted. And he not only harassed Travis, but he actually harassed all of the crew members so much that some one of the guys, Kenny, the cool dude that uh-huh. was like a badass and he's the one that called the police. Yeah. He actually left the Mormon church because of Philip Class and moved to Mexico. Nobody knows where he is. He that's like changed his what, name, moved to Mexico. That's
1: what we need to do for our summer trip. We need to go, go find to Mexico him. and
0: find this guy. We do. So Steve, the 17-year-old, he was so traumatized by this and had PTSD from this whole incident. And his wife actually ended up leaving him because she didn't believe him. And he stuck to his story the whole time. And I feel like if your wife is like, hey, I'm going to leave you because you're lying to me, you're going to be like, hey, you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, let me tell you the truth. But that's not what happened. He always maintained that he was telling the truth. He really saw a UFO. He really saw Travis get struck by this lightning. And he was traumatized from it. And he actually refused to talk to the media. He moved to two different states afterwards. So he's not doing it for fame. Mm-hmm. And he only broke his silence in I believe 2013, it was 38 years after the date of the incident, he finally broke his silence. And then, so I wanna play for you the yeah. original 1975 interview oh, play it. with Travis Walton and Mike Rogers regarding the abduction incident.
2: When I regained consciousness, I was laying on my back. I, uh, I came too slowly. Um, I was in a lot of pain in my head and chest area. Uh, at first I thought I was in a hospital but when I could finally see, I I saw these beings standing over me, and it, I just became hysterical.
1: Oh God! You know, why did that About, about so five feet
2: tall. It's a TV. Yeah. No hair, no eyelashes, eyebrows. Very large heads, very large eyes. The rest of their features, uh, nose, mouth, and ears were small, and uh, they were very white looking. I knocked them away from me, and. Uh, Jumped off of the table there, and uh, they started to come toward me.
1: The sound effect. I know, it's so cheesy. And
2: I grabbed an object off of the bench there and threatened them. They stopped and turned around and left the room. I was afraid they'd come back, so I left there, uh, looking for a way out. I went into another room where there was a chair. There was some kind of a uh, projection or some kind of a viewing thing in this room where you could see a map of the stars. A man came in while I was trying to find a way out there, and this was a, a human-looking person. They had passed in a crowd, uh, this individual, and on Earth. He was bigger than me, taller and more muscular, a very large individual. I went up and uh, tried to talk to this guy and uh, he didn't answer me. He led me outside of this craft that I was in, which was apparently parked inside of a large room or a building or a larger craft, and led me out of this room into another room where some other beings like himself put me unconscious. When I regained consciousness, I found myself laying on the roadway, and I saw a craft hovering there that just up there for a second and just shot straight up. The thing that bothered me most about the whole experience was those eyes. Now, I want to play He looks like you.
1: the brawny guy, like the guy that's on the towels.
0: Yeah, everybody in olden times was so much more adult than we are today. You no, know, tougher. Yeah. It's a different breed of human. They had to fight more. Okay. <laughs> they, they totally did. Yeah, they had a lot more wars. Now, I want to fast forward. So, this is Stephen Pierce, the guy that was 17 at the time of the incident. All right. I want to remind everyone this is the guy whose life. Was essentially ruined. Play the ruined man for <laughs>
2: me. I can't sleep at night. I stress all the time. I'm scared of the woods. I cannot sleep in the woods by myself. in my family, they, they do, they do not believe me. That's what really hurts the most. My ex-wife used to tell me not to tell nobody because they thought I was nuts. You know, you can't, go, don't be going to somebody's house and tell them the story because it's embarrassing. They think you're nuts, you know. I don't even believe she really believed the story. I don't lie, and I passed the polygraph test. I, we proved that we saw a UFO, you know. No matter what you come up with, they're not gonna believe you. The people who believe are gonna believe and the people who don't aren't gonna believe. I started using my first name instead of my middle name because Steve is my, is my, Stephen is my middle name. I mean, the first five days they thought we were murderers.
0: The point is, of so Steve Pierce, he moved two times. And when he was in Texas, Philip Klass, this asshole, found him, knocks on his door and says, hey, I'm going to give you $10,000 if you go on TV with me and say that this is a hoax.
1: I think Philip is an alien.
0: Yeah, right? Why is he so concerned? Yeah, why? So- Where
1: does he get $10,000 from How is everyone but us rich?
0: Right. So basically at this point, Steve Pierce is traumatized. He has PTSD. He's scared of class. He's a kid. He had just gotten married. He's super young. He has kids to take care of. He's working as a truck driver. He's changed his name like he's trying to get away from this story. And he says, I was really tempted to take the ten thousand dollars. But at the end of the day, I just knew I couldn't live with myself if I lied about this.
1: I would have I been like, yeah, it's yeah. all bullshit. That's
0: a lot of money. I mean, That's it's a, a lot, lot of cocaine. money now. Yeah, it's a lot of money then. And he just seems so sincere. Like, mm-hmm. I feel so bad for him. At the very least, these guys believe that they saw a UFO.
1: I just want to talk about that alien abduction. Right. Uh, why was the man wearing a helmet and the other ones weren't? I don't know. And if the medical examiner said that there nothing had happened to him. Pretty much, except for the hypodermic right. needle, which may which he got logging. He says, if these aliens or these beings, whatever they are, did something to him, it would it would have been like the humanoid creatures or something.
0: This is what Travis thinks. He thinks that the aliens were just trying to fly away when they injured him accidentally. The UFO was maybe observing the planet or taking soil samples or observing, like you said, this log slashing to see what it was. And then once they saw these people, they wanted to leave and not disturb, you know, the native population mm-hmm. of Earth, trying to be responsible but when they started up their craft their engine naturally has this beam that has to shoot out in order to start up and he was caught in the beam mm. and once they realized that they had injured this human that was probably going to die they wanted to you know do no harm which mm-hmm. a lot of conservationists on earth have that yes you know and, and people to go to outer space that's it's a just very ethics. common
1: scientific yes thing too it's just, is yeah. you don't you don't mess with your population
0: well, and and <laughs> and like you don't want to cause harm to something that you're trying to to just observe like when we go into the ocean
1: you don't want to change anything like yeah when we go in the ocean we're looking at coral we don't want to touch things because we want it to all be the same way that we left it and also we can't scientifically that's adding too many variables like we don't Mm -hmm. if they are observing earth to interact with us is just changing it way too much
0: exactly So he thinks that the only reason why he was, quote unquote, abducted is because they wanted to undo the damage they had done. Right. So then then that mm -hmm. would make
1: sense that he has no injuries because they fixed him.
0: Right. And over the course of five days, they healed him and they put him back on earth. And he only remembers two hours out of the five days. And so that's a pretty good job. Right. They were probably trying to erase his memory completely. He just woke up from anesthesia too early.
1: I wonder how many people get abducted if they have that technology and they just... They just clone a whole new version of you. Oh, that's interesting. Without your memory Yeah, of the past. and
0: put, yeah, or put new memories in an, or old memories in a new body or something. Yeah. And then some people think that they were drinking or doing drugs, like I said, that they saw something, maybe a uh, hunter's spotlighting, got scared, hallucinated that it was a spaceship, and left Travis there, who then continued hallucinating the whole ordeal, got lost, and somehow survived on his own for five days in 20 degree weather in jeans and a t shirt.
1: No, I don't believe that I don't think so either. Because then there would be tons of ketones in his pee. Even if the pee thing is, it could have been someone else's urine, we said. He would have so many cuts and scratches on him from surviving in the wild. Right. That's Yeah, you would be able to tell. Exactly. Were these trees some sort of experiment that these UFOs had and then they cut them all down and... And then the UFOs are like, whoa, what happened to our trees?
0: So later, Travis Walton went out with National Geographic to the spot that he was abducted from. And they took samples of tree bark that was facing the light beam. That tree bark had different makeup than the tree bark on the opposite side that wasn't facing the light beam. It had... An accelerated growth. Wow. It was in a complete circle. All of the trees along that circle had the accelerated growth. So it wasn't like only one direction had the accelerated growth. It's in a it's in a circle. What do you think? I think that it was a UFO. I totally believe in aliens. The universe is infinite, right? So mm-hmm. the odds that we're the only speck of sentient life is just seems absurd to me and so and I think a lot of people share that philosophy and then where people differ is they say yes there's probably other life forms but what do they look like what are the odds that they can get to us and what are the odds that they're solid beings such a human thing to practice speciesism Mm -hmm. where
1: we're like if you're not like us then you're not intelligent you don't matter if you've ever looked at like a time lapse of houseplants moving around at, you know, a hundred times their speed. Those things are moving around and reacting Mm -hmm. to their environment. And bugs, those are completely different than (laughs) us. Don't tell me, like, a cockroach is an alien.
0: Some people think that the craft was the sentient being which is another theory and that it was like a giant amoeba
1: yeah and his flagellum flagellum (laughs) like came out and (laughs) struck that man yeah i don't know i don't i like watch these videos on youtube of of microbiology one celled organism dies and everyone's commenting on it like rip that's what i spend my time doing okay i'm just saying i think aliens and everyone's gonna be like well polygraph tests aren't accurate
0: i totally think that at the very least they believe that they saw an alien i mean
1: yeah (laughs) yeah, <laughs> can we like if we go to how much is this alien convention okay. cost
0: alien con 2019 june 21st through the 23rd at don't the, tell me it's at the
1: fucking la convention yep. center la oh convention God. center i hate that place
0: and the tickets are i think it's 124 per so person? It's too, yeah it's too expensive if
1: somebody will pay us for us to go to this we will go and have a meet up there Yeah. And that filters out all of you weird people because you're like, (laughs) can't afford to go there.
0: Well, we can't afford to go there either. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're fucking weird. <laughs> so
1: it just it just proves my point even more. Yeah.
0: Steve is just walking around with his camera. This so this could be a behind the scenes, you guys. If you're hearing this audio, this might show up yeah. in a SP7 walk- video.
1: I always feel like when I'm on SP7, like we're filming something wholesome and cool. And then I'm watching it and it's like freeze frame on my face. Natalia looked like an old dirty sock, <laughs> sad and alone and confused. And I'm just like, damn it, Steve.
0: That's like every thumbnail that I've ever been in, with the exception of maybe two, I look fucking horrible. I give them so
1: many options too. They're like thumbnail and I'm like literally like modeling yeah, like, smiling, doing all the good angles and then they just like no, fuck this. Let's take like Let's
0: pick the one where Alyssa has a double chin and, and like bags a snap under her tube. eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like somehow my lip is caught on one of my teeth. <laughs> like,
1: I'm like missing chunks of hair from yeah. whatever angle it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been another episode of Let's Get Haunted. We love you guys. And Check out our Instagram. If you want to send us money, you can Venmo us. My Venmo is Nat Strawn.
0: And my Venmo is Dog Mom USA. You guys are not obligated to send us money, as I don't want you to think that we're like being ungrateful. or. We're... You can also PayPal me at
1: <laughs> paypal.me slash clicktodie. I don't yeah. have
0: a PayPal. I just want to also reemphasize if people are feeling weird about funding us that the no, money no, does no
1: no you don't even throw that out there okay
0: well i was just gonna say the money does go towards stuff that actually helps this podcast for example right. natalia doesn't have a car so she has to uber here yeah i have to use gas i live far away and we have to pay for soundcloud premium wee, wee, wee.
1: that's know. the world's smallest Whoa. violin we
2: have to I pay know. for soundcloud <laughs> <Club> <laughs> that's premium. the sound
0: of our listeners clicking off we made a subreddit
2: Nothing's on it. Yeah,
0: (laughs) nothing is on it, but it's r slash Let's Get Haunted. And I see 11 people have already joined it. I tweeted about it on our Twitter handle, which is at Let's Get Haunted. Our Instagram is at Let's Get Haunted. Our SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash Let's Get Haunted. Spotify does not do custom links. Bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash Get Haunted. And that takes you straight to our Spotify. Or you can just go into your Spotify app and search Let's Get Haunted. We're the only thing that pops up. And our Gmail, like Nat said, is letsgethauntedpod at gmail.com. We are still working on iTunes. Hell yes. Hell fucking yes.
1: If you guys PayPal Power, then us us and you say it's for Let's Get Haunted, been
0: it. Yeah, and it all goes towards funding us being able to make this. We're not making any money off of this. In fact, we're losing money. What else are we going to spend our money on? <gasps> not- nothing good. Okay. Love you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye.